Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on the swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Colin Munns, and we're off and running. Man, tough uh, tough night for the boys on Tuesday night, eh? Oh, this is how we're going to start? We got to start with this? I'm still not over it. I still haven't recovered. We got to try and just get it out of the way so we can try to put it at rest, move on with our lives. Um, but damn, man, tough, tough night to have a bad night. Tough night to have horrible. Night. I mean, and that's the that I guess that's what makes it so frustrating is just uh, it was a bad night and all around bad night, and you just can't have bad nights in the elite eight. Now that you played pretty high level hoops and played a lot of hoops, so talk about really quick like how does that happen? Because I think a lot of people who don't necessarily play sports or maybe haven't even played basketball particularly. They don't understand how teams can have those off nights. You, you see what their potential is. You see their capability. Even a team like like Michigan had played super consistent almost for the entire year, even after losing livers. How, how do those nights even happen? Well, I mean, it, and it happens just in the game. That's why you play a season, you know, because there are always in sports, there's those nights where you just can't buy a bucket. There's, there's just a lid on it, you know. I mean, on an ind- and there's games where – a lot of games that happen where it's an individual who's off and can't hit the ocean from the beach. And, but then the team steps up and, you know, kind of buries that poor performance from one person. I, Franz Wagner is the guy who comes to mind who played horribly. Uh, I believe it was the sweet 16 game, maybe the round of 32 uh, where he played really bad. And then the team picked him up, you know, um, that we just ran into a, an area where the whole game every single guy on the floor couldn't buy one. Yeah, it was crazy because you're watching a team that averages 70-some points a game score 49, and, you know, in the face of struggling on the offensive end, still played pretty incredible defense. I mean, if if before tip-off you tell me, hey, UCLA is going to score 51 points, I say, route. Yeah, by 25 yeah yeah i was gonna i would already pop champagne see in the final four if you had told me ucla was gonna score 51 but and that's with one of their dudes scoring 28 so it's tough man and and uh the one thing that i kept thinking about this was what tuesday night because of course fuck east coast time currently the game ends at like 12 15 i'm all riled up i'm supposed to go to bed and like wake up in a couple hours didn't happen um but the one thing i kept thinking about was you know, this has been a crazy year for a lot of people, obviously, and there's a relative spectrum of how tough people's years have been based on all these different factors, right? But at the end of the day, I think for myself and for a lot of um, sports fans, watching these college kids play, especially from our own universities, has been potentially like a lone spot of happiness and a lone spot of enjoyment, which is way too much pressure responsibility and burden to be putting on college athletes like it's not fair to them at all uh but for me personally getting to watch you know i watch every single game of the basketball season this year for michigan and watching those dudes play we've talked about it was just incredibly enjoyable every game was so much fun to watch and in a time when a lot of things uh weren't always going so great they brought just an incredible amount of uh, like passion and joy back into people's lives, including myself. And when you sit there and you feel disappointed after the game as a fan and as us, you know, we've played, we've, we've been on teams who have had games like that and lost games to end sports careers that 
shouldn't lose, you know, shit like that. So you know that those dudes are, you know, you take what we're feeling, you multiply it by, you know, pick a number, and that's how right. those dudes are feeling. And, Absolutely. Uh, kind of helps put it into perspective, and, and you just ultimately appreciate what these past six months have been from a basketball standpoint. You appreciate what those dudes have done because we know what they've had to go through behind the scenes with n- not only are they – dealing with the normal things of being a student athlete in college, but now they're also dealing with COVID and, you know, unbelievable year just to to have to deal with. So ultimately just awesome. What an amazing run. Michigan basketball is in the middle of an amazing decade. Uh, I would, I would also like to point out and piggyback off of you because I think you're leaving out something huge. Um, I'm very proud of the Michigan fan base for not, uh, issuing death threats to any players after we were eliminated, you know, like some other Big Ten schools who shall remain nameless. Yeah, that's a good point. I was happy to see that as well. And I think we both follow enough of like Michigan athletics Twitter where like people call people out who do that. And we would, we would have seen, I think, if that was happening on like a massive level. I don't think we're like ignorant to it. Um, I'm sure it happened at some point, but it was good to see that it wasn't a massive thing like it has been for other teams. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, come on people, what are we doing? This was a team who was projected to do nothing. And, and we can talk another day about preseason projections and what any of that means anyways, but all these did, these dudes did night in and night out was overperform. Like right. we exceed expectations. So man, I'll take it a couple days later. It's like, tough way to lose you probably are thinking that's that's a game that you should win and then who knows what happens against gonzaga you're probably thinking you're gonna lose as a fan. yeah you're the dog uh, you're going in as the dog in that game no matter what in my eyes other than feeling like because of the situation you you maybe bowed out a game early hell of a fucking run man hell of a run. couldn't agree more could not agree more so I wanted to kick things off with that and, and just now we can kind of get that off of our chest and move on so let's go ahead and move on into the work topics uh roger goodell big announcement big announcement so we're in the middle of owners meetings there's also pro days going around the nfl is crazy right now and there's a couple things on the business end that we can talk about first one goodell comes out and says that the nfl is expecting to have full stadiums for 2021 immediate thoughts mr munz uh i i don't have a think he's that far off I kind of guess I would be in the same boat about that time we would be. So that I'm okay with it. I would be much more, the shock and off factor would be much more, much higher had Robbie Manfred come out and said that he was expecting full stadiums. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 that part I don't have any beef with, uh, but the next part B of this is a little different. So I'll wrap up part one here. And and I agree with you. I think that one Goodell is obviously a businessman um, and he knows that if he came out and said this and then it doesn't come true, it's a bad look. He also knows that there's a lot of people who just even seeing it on the surface are going to have some hesitation towards it. Uh, I'm under the belief that Goodell is heavily involved or at least has visibility to like quote unquote, the conversations about kind of where we're trending in this thing. Yep. Uh, when you look at, you know, vaccinations and Kate, you know, there's so many factors at play. Right. Um, and my guess is he's seeing like, Hey, if, if we keep on the path that we've been on, especially in the past, you know, two months, um, especially from a vaccination standpoint, then like, hopefully, yeah, th- that we should be in a spot where 
you know, things can get rolling. It's interesting, you know, jumping around really quick. Opening day baseball today. We're going to talk about it more a little bit later. Um, but <laughs> already Harry, had one. Already had a cancellation. Already have a cancellation. Already have players individually who are who are missing games. I've had the the just the ESPN games on in the background. We we got a decent amount of people in some of these stadiums already as well. So we've talked about it before. It's an interesting position for for teams because you're being given two options. You know play within the the whatever the regulation is whether you agree with it or not and make as much money as you can or lose a shit ton of money in jobs and so on and so forth right so it's like i don't blame them for putting people in the stands if people are going to go but we're, you know we're going to continue to find out how this thing is playing out but getting back into the owners meeting you kind of tease something that you feel a little more iffy about yes a lot more <laughs> iffy about <laughs> is this the 17 game yes it is the 17 game so the nfl moved their schedule uh usually a regular season is 16 games in the nfl it has been uh gosh it's since the 80s uh i don't have it in front of me uh, late 70s i want to say or early 80s but somewhere there. yeah wherever look it up if you care that much um <laughs> But they're, we're expanding it to 17 games for the 2021 season. And in, because they have to work within the parameters of the CBA, they can't expand the schedule to more than 20 games. So this also leads to a deletion of a preseason game. Um, my beef with this comes twofold. One, it's I just – how much – bullshit lie can you hear from the NFL that they care about player safety when they do this? Um, right. Two, I really think this impacts the guy who is 52 through 60 in the preseason because those guys depend on those preseason snaps to make a team. And I think in the this is going to lead to expanded practice squads and things like that because coaches are going to complain they don't have enough time to evaluate guys to make a 53-man roster. Yeah, and you bring up a great point with uh, it hurting kind of the not even just young, well, especially young guys, but anybody kind of on the end of the bench, as they say, are the last couple roster spots, but especially the young guys because, you know, people may say, oh, they have one less preseason game, but their teams, you know, they see them every day in practice. They should know. Well, what you don't necessarily always understand is that preseason tape, those game tapes that these young guys get, all the teams are seeing them. So yes, their own, their teams know them well. And obviously that's the reason they either keep them or let them go. But if they let them go, having that preseason game tape is how they can potentially get picked up by other teams. Is practice tape going to do that? Is inner squad scrimmage tape going to do that? I don't know. My guess is as a GM, watching practice tape and watching an inner squad scrimmage tape or even those joint practices that they do. Right. I'm not sure I'm feeling as confident in performance on those tapes as I would even in the fourth preseason game of the year where those guys are playing the entire game. Absolutely. And I, I think they're, they're both a reason why you're going to see both the physical demand you're putting on the guys that do make the 53 man and the lack of film for those who don't are going to be a reason why both a reason contributing reason why you see expanded practice squads, because they're going to start leaning towards practice squads as ways to get more looks at guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing some form of practice squad scrimmages and things like that to get more film. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting point. I do think that they will at the very least have extended practice squads 
that got introduced during COVID, if I'm not mistaken, I don't see why they would uh, kind of regress on that front. You know, you brought up an interesting point also about player safety. And it's interesting because I was looking for reaction from players and you either seem to be seeing nothing like players are quiet or you're seeing players disagree, which isn't, it's a very, you know, usually there's at least somebody who comes out uh, on kind of the the pro side, but it's either like people aren't saying anything or they're saying this is bullshit. Right. Which, but I don't, 17 game. what is one more game really decide? I, I just, I don't understand because were we really at a point where we didn't feel that we had determined who the top teams in each conference were at 16 games? Like, because I, I truly felt at 16, you knew who the best teams in each conference were at that point. Yeah. I mean, shit, I, I think some people would potentially even make an argument that 14 was enough. I think 16 feels right because we've seen plenty of playoff races and division races come down to the last game. So right. um, it's obviously in the sweet spot. But to me, I've never thought that the 17th game is about uh, competitive balance. It's always just been about the network paycheck. Right, exactly. And, and even a game check, not a game check, excuse me, gate check, for all those games because nobody can't comes to preseason games. Nobody cares a regular season game. You're going to have asses in chairs, buying hot dogs, buying beer, more money comes in on those games than preseason games. And from a business standpoint, what I've seen kind of starting to leak out, the NFL is going to, I mean, from a business standpoint, they're going to pull this off masterfully, right? Like I've seen them, them talking about, they're going to have a game on black Friday after the triple header on Thanksgiving you know, that 17th or I guess it'll be week 18 uh, will be probably quite a spectacle, especially for the first year. It seems like there's an opportunity that they might try to like reinvigorate, reinvigorate some rivalries and things like that. But it's, it is really about the media deals, I think. And and obviously people will go to the games, I think for sure. Uh, An interesting, the main like pro for players that I've seen getting put out by the NFLPA, which most players seem to not like the NFL <laughs> uh, as well as the uh, league itself is that this 17th game kicks in a media kicker uh, where players now the, the percentage of revenue that they get to share, they now bump up to 48%. Um, so they're saying like, Oh, well, you know, this is good because it, it does put some extra money in your pocket. But like you said, it's like, well, is that the true benefit and what's the true cost of that extra game, especially as you compound it over over five. years? Exactly. And I, I do want to like back us up because I, I think to say that most people come out against the, the players association. Yes, that's true. But I think it's a very rare phenomenon to have somebody come out and praise a players association any in any sport. It's, it's just, it never happens. I don't, I don't think, so I don't think it's, a fair thing to say that all the players, most of the players are unhappy with the players association, but the ones who speak out, it's like any Yelp review. I think like it's, (laughs) it's always the negative stuff that's on your Yelp review page because people don't leave a restaurant and they're like, that was really good. I'm going to go write a Yelp review about it. But so I think, but that's neither here nor there. All in all, I just think this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think, well, eventually we're going to get used to a 17 game regular season and it's just going to be a, you know, old hat. But right now it's just, it's definitely strikes me as strange. It's going to be awesome as fans. I mean, when you think about it from a fan standpoint, at the end of the day, it's going to be pretty cool. Extra games, 
extra games for I mean for betting all this stuff right like it'll be cool for us I understand how players are currently kind of on the fence uh, because they are also in the owners meeting talking about some some potential rule changes they always do the competition committee all this type of shit right my question to you what rule would you like to see changed if you were king for a day oh easy I want the onside kick. I love the, I'd take the onside kick rule from the AAF and bring it. Cause I think that was the coolest onside kick instead of where it's you're, you're instead of having an onside kick, which I think is a, you know, save young way where they got recovered it three times in a row in Atlanta this year. Um, but it's very rarely a play, an effective play. It very rarely works. Well, part of that too um, is because they've, they've changed the rules to basically make that the case, right? Right. Like exactly. The so they rule change that they've made have said like, yeah, well the onside kick is essentially rendered useless because you have to have even amount of guys on the field. You can't get running start all this type of stuff. So what's the point? Exactly. So I would like to switch it to the AAF rule, which to, in order to take an onside kick, you start at your own 28 and it is fourth and 15. And you have, so you have one down to convert 15 yards and if you do it, you keep the ball and keep going from wherever you converted. Um, if you don't, the other team gets the ball at the 28 yard line. If you, you know, incomplete pass or whatever, if you're short, they get it where. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh that was going to be my question. And for some reason, I thought like, oh, they would get it where they would as like a touchback. But now it's like, well, that's not where they get the ball when they recover an onside kick. But damn. It, yeah, it, the two months, 28 that's like they recovered the onside kick and returned it exactly there's a risk reward you get to if you get to put the ball in pat mahomes hand instead of having it rest on the foot of a kicker i mean you got to have a heavy a heavy risk you're weighing and to put you put the other team immediately in field goal range i think that's a pretty uh pretty lofty risk yeah damn especially it's <laughs> I mean, fourth and 15 sounds so much more difficult even than like fourth and 10. Yeah. I, I, but I think, yeah, but fourth and 10 is too easy. Like you, you got, you got, cause coaches have 10 yard bangers. They just have these like little 10 yard out, you know, plays they go to, to get 10 yards. They all have them, but nobody has a 15 yard play. Like, so you, you would have some offensive coordinators start diving into their creative juices to draw 15 yard plays. And you would see who had the large inseams in their pants. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it would be great. It would be way more exciting than a than a actual onside kick now. Yeah, you know what'd be interesting is if you were able to look at the prior to the onside kick rule changes. So let's, you know, th- those just happened in the past couple of years. So like prior to these past couple of years, what was the success rate of an onside kick? And compare that to the success rate of like fourth and ten, fourth and eleven, fourth and twelve. And if shit you find where it matches up maybe they already did you know these right people working in the league office on whatever you know what is it madison avenue there at new york it's like i think they are so at least intelligent. the aaf it wasn't it was fourth and 12 was it and they started you at the 28 so they did it at fourth and 12 at the 28 uh i just think fourth fourth and 15 it makes up that little difference but whatever the math is i'm sure people in Man- at madison avenue like you said would be able to figure it out and if it's fourth and 14 fine fourth and 14 at the 26 i don't care <laughs> that would be awesome yeah i would i would actually like that a lot um my change would be no more ties no more Ooh, ties. Uh, yeah that's a great one i second that for sure can't have ties uh and then the question becomes well then okay what do you do if it's tied after overtime because that 
obviously happens. Why not at- just take the clock off of overtime? Just make it an untimed period. Well, so then the problem you have is their whole rule where it's like, if, well, yeah, I guess that could, could work. So I, the potential interesting situation would be, okay, I get the ball first. I kick a field goal. You get a rebuttal. You kick a field goal. Now it's just sudden death with no time. Exactly. It's next yeah. one, next person to score wins. So I, I, I didn't think about that. The one I thought about was like a college overtime. Yeah. Uh, and then I heard people saying like that could be an issue with players, player safety because you're just having guys. Well, yeah, that that, all that that has potential to just go forever, I think. And so that I think is an actual, you know, while yes, I love it. And I think it's way more exciting. Uh, that has potential to, I think, actually go on forever. Whereas if you just did that, took the time off of, of NFL overtime now and just remove the clock altogether, that would eliminate ties and, you because oftentimes too when we do have a tie one team is like at least getting close and they miss a field goal at the end like as time expires or something stupid like that where they wouldn't have to kick a field goal they can keep running their offense get closer and chip shot field goal or you know punch it in and we're ball game we have a winner and it took us three extra plays four extra plays whatever it may be yeah, that's a fair point. The one idea that I really liked that I heard, it's not my own, is a kickoff it, it, by it, but like a field goal off. Get the kickers out there, line them up at 50 and just shootout style. Bang, Ooh, bang, 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 bang. that's interesting, too. I like that. See, that's that's interesting. But then you get players off the field, kickers, you know. Well, now field. that we have 17 games and we've devalued the each game by, you know, one sixteenth. Uh, I fuck it. Let's let's have shootouts to decide games in a seventeen game season. Listen, let's look at it from a business standpoint. That would be great television. Great television. Uh, social media, great on social media, and you're not having any ties. I mean, come on, it's a it's a win 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 across the board. And guys who are the good kickers are going to show that they're the fucking good kickers, right? Like. The, the cream is going to separate from the crop if you're getting shootout kickoffs from like 50-yard field goals, just seeing who can bang them home. Do you end. let them use a tee or do they have to snap it and, and hold? So because so this was the conversation that I, I'm just regurgitating because they had this same conversation, right? And it's like, okay, you could use the tee, but you would I would rather see you have to use like the whole battery because then it's three people involved, more chances for mess ups, but then you'd have to put some sort of like shot clock on it or something because otherwise the snapper could snap it and the kicker would just wait until the holder sets it down. Right. You know, like if it's a bad snap or something, the holder could just go grab it and do it, put it down. They say like the average snap to kick on a field goal in the NFL is like 1.2 seconds. So like how you, you can't have a one. Put the defense out there. Oh yeah. Just put it in the D it's three on three defense edge rushes. Yeah. And just throw special teamers out there and just have them bang. It's basically your, it's basically like a pods drill, like a left tackle and a right tackle against your two defensive ends. They get to rush. And the long snapper. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or or be able to like do it off the tee, but do like psych outs like basketball. Ooh, now we're getting now we're getting too we're getting a little creative, but I love it. I I would I would watch this. Listen, all of this would still be better than a tie. I'd yeah. rather lose a game like that as a fan than be like, oh well, we tied and like 
either this is going to keep us out of the playoffs or it's going to keep us from a better draft pick. So it, it screws you either way. I, like I'm, you regardless. I'm about it. I'm ready. Sign, where do I sign the petition? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to tease this uh, because one, I, I think there's just still not enough information about it out yet. And we would probably talk around in circles for it and, and nobody needs to listen to us do that while there's not enough information out to really get into it. But the NCAA is in another NIL lawsuit, NCAA versus Austin. Uh, oral arguments are being heard. The main thing that has come out currently, this is about amateurism uh, and permissible benefits for student athletes. It loosely ties into name, image, and likeness, but it's not 100% about that. The main thing that I was seeing blow up over over Twitter the past couple of days is that the justices, the Supreme Court justices, uh, are asking the NCAA's uh, lawyers some pretty tough questions. People are interpreting this as the NCAA is in bad shape as somebody with law school experience does a rough line of questioning from the justices during oral arguments immediately mean that no. said party is in trouble. Okay. Uh, so you asked me, there's two, I have two answers. I think the NCAA is in trouble, like, but to answer your question of if they ask these questions, if they ask you challenging, tough questions, are you always in bad shape? No, that's absolutely I guess it depends. And that's the most lawyer answer you'll ever get. Uh, it depends. But but I think the NCAA is in trouble here. Like, I really do. I, I, it, it, because even the most conservative justices are the ones that are saying, like, that, you're, that what you're doing is exploitation of labor. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's what's concerning is not necessarily the rough questions they're throwing. It's who is throwing – the rough questions. That's a fair point and a great point. I pulled out two different quotes that I thought were funny um, and also kind of indicative of this whole situation. One of the NCAA lawyers in in one of like opening arguments or a question or, or an answer to a question I don't remember which I honestly saw it out of context. So who the fuck knows? But um, he said, and I quote: "Consumers like watching unpaid athletes compete." So that people are like, so part of their audience or part of their argument oh. is assuming that us as consumers, part of the reason we enjoy college athletics is because they're unpaid. Now, the problem is, is there are people who there are people who do that. that. Um, but it, it's interesting that that seems to be like a linchpin of their argument. Uh, and one of the justices and again, uh, this may be com a complete lie, but it's it's what's stuck in my head. I believe he is considered one of the more conservative justices on the bench. Uh, he said, you focus on the amateur status of the students, but what about the coaches and their salaries? Is this Kavanaugh or, or who said this? Justice Thomas. Oh, that is the, yes, <laughs> you've got the, you've got the, yes, very conservative leaning. It's amazing when some of those things that, you know, you just see it while you're scrolling and it pops into your brain and you're like, well, 50, 50 here and <laughs> you're going to hit some, you're going to miss some. So that's great. But it's interesting because I recall the class, I believe it was sport econ with with uh, our guy, Mr. Jukebox Clit Hero. Oh, gotta love Jukebox. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about this same thing. And, and Hakeem, Hakeem the Dream, literally basically said this whole thing. He's like, listen, at the end of the day, one of the biggest problems for me and Hakeem, we know this, but people listening may not. Hakeem played hoops at University of Washington in the early 2000s, went on to play overseas for over a decade. 
then dunked on us little white L- kids. Literally ruined my <laughs> career. Literally, my LBA career was ended. <laughs> literally dunked on us. Um, he said the same thing. He's he's like, you know what? There, there's a lot of issues, but one of the biggest issues for me at the end of the day is the salaries of these coaches and how much money they're able to make and how they're able to just freely move throughout the market with no repercussion. And we just today saw a great example of that Texas Tech's coach, Chris Beard, who had, of course, like most coaches do come out in the media and say, hey, I'm I'm Texas Tech. I'm staying here. We're building something, blah, blah, blah. Takes the Texas job today. Yeah. Boom, see ya. And if the athletes try to do that, no, sit out a year, uh, get ridiculed by the fan base, so on and so forth. Coaches doesn't matter. Staff doesn't matter. No, and that's that's the the what they're fighting here is. I mean, it is exploitation of labor, and and they're giving like them coaches don't need all that money. Like, really, come on. You, a college coach is paid more than a professional coach. What sense does that make? Yeah. And I and I'm not a I'm not a pocket watcher. I'm not I'm not a pocket watching guy. I'm never gonna say like take it try to take food or money from another man like that's not what i'm here to say but it tell me how it makes any logical sense that a professional makes less money than a collegiate level person anything right can can you be a professional coach coaching amateur athletes does that even work no i i think that 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 defeats the purpose you're a college like is a college professor is are they the same thing as teaching third grade English? Like, like it's the, I mean that's the same comparison. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's transition from from one lawsuit to where we don't have all the details to another one um, that I don't really, I I don't want to talk about the actual details of the case and what went on or case is um, and what went on because I think there's a lot um, still that's going to come out in you know in in evidence and investigations and things like that um so i don't really want to have us speculate on that part of it what i do want to talk about is a lot of the uh conspiracies i've been reading on twitter uh that the texans have orchestrated this deshaun watson legal debacle uh and so for those who don't know deshaun watson has uh, as of this recording has 21 um charges of sexual misconduct against masseuses that he's flown into Houston from all over the country uh, and has sexually uh, done things that they are alleging have done things that are sexually wrong. And so we'll just leave it at that. There's 21 of them, which stacks up. My thing here is that people that are saying the Houston Texans did this because to Deshaun Watson, because Deshaun Watson demanded a trade and wants out. I just am flabbergasted by this line of thought. <laughs> like, I just, what good does it do for the Texans organization to devalue the, quite literally, the only asset that you have to such a degree that he's almost untradeable at this point? Yeah. Well, so I will admit that, especially when the first few, um, claims were filed and came to light uh or suits i should say um i was somewhat skeptical which is which is probably wrong of me uh but because you do hear stories and have had you know i've i've listened to former owners of major league baseball teams say that they literally do exactly this um to players in different situations 
But then you're right. When you think about it, it's like, well, if they were trying to run a smear campaign or devalue him, the only good that would do that them as the Texans would be to make him untradeable and force him into staying into Houston. But that's also a terrible right. Nothing like if he finds out or even perceives that you did this and now he's stuck in Houston because of it. Uh, that's obviously not good. So ultimately, I came around as like, okay, first of all, now we're up to 21, as you mentioned, which is almost unfathomable. And even if it was literally just one or two, uh, the line of thinking that this was a smear campaign also becomes like just illogical and doesn't make sense from any way that you look at it. Yeah. And, and I also, yes, absolutely right. It's just, and you brought up the, my one counterpoint before I could even get to it. So you just took the words right out of my mouth. Um, hey, that's who are your team here, bud. Just yeah. teeing them up. And, and, you, yeah. And yeah. you're just knocking them out. Uh, yeah. But the, if you're trying to force Deshaun to stay in Houston because you're devaluing him so bad, like to, to such an nth degree, he's going to, he's contracts going to be up before you know it. And he, and you're going to be such financial risk. If he it does get out, he'll sue you right back. And then you're going to be right back in court as the Houston Texans organization getting sued by their player, which Holy Moses, you want to talk about a groundbreaking thing to happen. And do you really think Cal McDumbass, the owner of the Texans really wants that happening? No, if uh, it's funny to play that scenario out in your head because you realize it probably ends with him having to sell the team because once that lawsuit happens, you can kiss getting any free agents goodbye. Like, see ya. Exactly. Happy. It's just a complete tank of the organization if you do that, if you did that. <laughs> yeah, so this it's it's sad to watch and it's sad to see all these things happening because you – you don't want to believe that professional athletes, especially ones who have generally came off as very upstate. I mean, we always talk about Deshaun Watson as the kid who grew up in a family who worked done through Habitat for Humanity, built them and gave his family a house. Like he is, he's supposed to be that guy that everybody can get behind. And now you're seeing this, it's like, man, this, if this stuff ends up being true, you're like, fuck. I mean, that, that can't, you can't have that in society. You definitely can't have that in the NFL teams can't have that out of any of their players let alone a franchise quarterback so it's going to be an interesting what a wild ride for the texans over the past you know couple months and, my good yeah and i think it's even going to get wilder over the next few months yeah 100 uh, it's it's going to get uh worse before there's any sort of i don't even know if better is the right word but any sort of like closure it's going to get worse before that one way or the other right? yeah i agree where it's always darkest just before the dawn and we are we are not even close to morning yet yeah and and is there even a dawn in this situation outside of for the victims if what they are alleging is true right like justice for them would be a dawn for them wouldn't be great for the Texans. No, wouldn't be great for football. Wouldn't be great for anybody. Right. Uh, in in the sport, I mean, it it further you know propagates that black eye of sexual misconduct and in, in athletes, which you know is not. It happens. You can't deny it. But it's also, it's a few bad apples ruin the bunch, and it that further. I know the few bad apples uh, analogies never looked good upon but it's the truth i mean it's the vast majority of professional athletes aren't sexually mis aren't doing this sexual misconduct so it's just a it's a bad situation 
I wonder if this becomes a point for the NFL to find ways to um, provide even more resources for athletes, whether it is the form of, I don't know what it looks like, right? I don't know if it's trainings. I don't know if it's making like um, different people available, if it's, if there's more things that need to be done in like evaluation processes, I don't know. Right. But like, if this happens to be the case, it won't have been the first case. I mean, shit, dude, we're, it hardly gets talked about anymore. That Seahawks lineman damn near beat his fucking girlfriend to death. Right. Damn near beat her to death. Um, we've seen videos of multiple NFL players. One who's he'll be playing on the field on Sundays was playing on the field last Sundays after sitting out eight games or whatever, like kicking, kicking girls on the ground, kicking their significant others. Um, so I mean, at some point, and maybe they are, maybe we just don't see it outwardly, but like the NFL has to at least acknowledge that, Hey, there are some bad apples. We're trying to get rid of even the bad apples and figure out a way to not get any more bad apples into the bundle so that we're always having to pick them out. Like, let's just, let's get our like product control under control, our quality control, and just make sure that we're all good apples. Maybe that's, (laughs) maybe that's a, a pipe dream. I don't know. Maybe that's impossible, but yeah it's not it's just not good for for any it's not good for society it's not good for the league it's not good all across the board agreed but on a lighter (laughs) note happy opening day (laughs) yeah right happy opening day um man uh the it's been fun to kind of see it in the background today meet miguel cabrera who's had a rough multiple years we've joked about his contract and how it's horrific for the tigers multiple times on this podcast motherfucker went boom today that's what mickey does when he hits a home run 488 boom. career yeah and 350 some plus with the tigers i think which makes him like the third player in tigers history to have that many home runs with the tigers uh first home run of the major league baseball season it was in a goddamn snowstorm in detroit i couldn't believe it listen i am currently like two and a half hours east or excuse me west of detroit same state same like longitude i think is longitude the one is- yeah I, I, uh i don't know i think that's latitude going i don't know man east I, and west latitude yeah, maybe I, yeah I, I, latitude yeah 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 long okay yeah yeah so we're on the same damn near latitude and it's sunny 45 ish here and i see the clip of miggy hitting a home run two and a half hours down the road it's fucking snowing. I, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Welcome to Michigan, man. That's how it goes. Like, wait, what is happening over in Detroit right now? What is going on? The mitten. You can never predict it. 15 minutes down the road, it could be a completely different setting. It was awesome. Um, we are going to give some MLB predictions. Uh, but first, there are a couple other football-related things within play topics that I wanted to hit on. Um, well, first. First is uh, a quick NCAA thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, They posted the viewership for the Elite Eight because the schedule has changed this year. Usually the Elite Eight is Saturday, Sunday. This year it was Monday, Tuesday, including 10 o'clock Eastern time starts, which a lot of people obviously had a lot of issue with. Uh, Viewership was down 45% uh, compared to last year's Elite Eight. The tournament in general is down 12%, which most people actually are taking as positive because we've talked at 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 length uh in, on this podcast about how just tv ratings in general and sports ratings in general have, have been down uh in 2020 uh they're still saying that the tournament is the highest rated program every night that there's a game on so i don't think they're too worried about it but viewership numbers aside ultimately 
what do you think about the schedule and what are your thoughts on these 10 p.m. starts? Because I sit here and it's like, well, yeah, it kind of sucks for Eastern time zone, but the seven o'clock Eastern start sucks for the the West Coast. Yeah, that sucks. That's impossible. Yeah. And that's that's you hit up the nail on the head. I, I all the East Coasters crying that they had to stay up till 10 to watch a game. Sorry, like the the your alternative of playing the first game at five and then playing the second game at eight is stupid because I, nobody on the West Coast at two o'clock wants to watch a game like that. They're working and they can't like it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's literally a they couldn't even if they wanted to type of deal, especially on a weekday. You know, like what are you supposed to do? That's why I thought, you know, the Saturday, Sunday Elite Eight with kind of the on Saturday, they usually did like a evening and then night game and then right. Sunday, like a mid and late afternoon that that sunday day probably still isn't great for the west coast uh, but it's not the worst i, I gotta think that they'll go back to the traditional me too schedule after this year i do too i think they will uh i think they're gonna and i think they'll return back to the thursday friday saturday sunday instead of the saturday sunday monday tuesday format as well yes for the earlier rounds yes what I will be curious about, and I think we did talk about it, so um, if, we, if we already did, I apologize, but I'm curious about um, this like host city concept, if there would be any benefit to doing that in the future, if they continue to just have a Final Four kind of premier host city and then they do the traditional regions. There's pros and cons to both. The pros list for the original scheduling and, and regions is probably a little longer than the uh, like massive host city, but it's something to think about. Yeah, I like the the bubble idea. I, I I do. I just it's interesting, you know, when you actually put back school in into it. Like, are you going to ping pong back and forth if you you make it in the tournament, or are you going to stay in the host city forever? You know, I think under the old format, that's kind of the travel aspect of it. Is you go one place and you go back to school for a few days, then you go to the new the next rounds location. Uh, yeah, because shit, like, even though maybe your Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games were in Anaheim for the regional, right? Uh, your first two-round games were somewhere else. Somewhere so, else. That's right, damn. So yeah. that's that's kind of what I, my, I think is the big drawback, is when you kind of actually work back that school aspect into it and to where they have to return to a to home base during the middle of the week uh, and then go, it would be strange just ping-ponging back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I would I would imagine that the NCAA is probably looking at this and like, damn, operationally, like this was kind of nice. Everybody's, right, everybody's here. I like I liked it. Uh, I just uh, you would have to condense the tournament. I think. Oh yeah, that's interesting. And they definitely don't want to do that. Exactly. They love dominating uh, the whole month. Yeah, no doubt. Let's get into what's also been kind of dominating the week this week, even with Elite Eight games, uh, and that's Pro Day. We're, we got Pro Day superstars. You want? To I hate one. this. I hate this trash. I have, this is such. I don't even want to talk about this because one, they don't do all the workouts. They get to pick and choose what workouts they do. They're not officially timed. They're hand timed on a lot of stuff. It, it, I just hate Pro Day. I think it's the most overrated trash the only thing i like about it is some guys get to work out that you know may not have been being scouted by particular guys and they get to see them at, do, see them work out but those are the guys who are usually doing all of the workouts you right. know it's not like 
the quarterbacks who are like, ah, I'm not going to throw. I'm and I'm and I'm not going to run. I'm not going to do anything. But I'll just do a little cone drills for you, just for pro day. Now that happens similarly at the combine in traditional years. So do you feel the same? Yeah, you do the whole thing. Like if you go to the combine, do it. Unless you have an injury for whatever reason that you can't perform, then in that if that's the case, I don't think you should do anything in the combine. Yeah, it seems like the biggest thing that comes out of the combine for most teams, I think, from what you hear people talk about. And, and maybe you've heard people talk differently is like the interviews at the combine. That seems to be where people really get into it. Now we know there are teams who they see a guy with, with, you know, shredded from, from a, a Greek God. And then he goes and runs a blazing speed and they're like, yep, moving him up on the big board, right. baby, let's go. But I think for the most part, um, teams look at those numbers and maybe those are the cherry on top, but the tape is what's uh, creating the big board. But those interviews, I mean, are huge. Those those that's that's the huge the biggest part of it to me is those interviews. It's not the workouts. And, and I guess that's why I get mad is because you watch ESPN or FS1 or whatever channel you watch and all they talk about is the guys running around in their underwear. Like it's there's that's it. That's all they care about. And I'm like that that is maybe 10 to 15% of what those scouts are there for, I think, in the whole picture of things because like you said, I would tell I would say 50 to 60% of their, your mind is made up about a guy based on film. And then 20%, I would say is that interview and the remaining 20, 15 to 20, I'll, I'd say is a combiner pro day workout. Yeah. And it's, it is cool. I mean, as, as somebody who just appreciates kind of watching some of the athletic feats, it is cool to see like Kyle Pitts come in at six, six two forty, and run a four, four. And you're like, Holy shit. Like that doesn't even seem real to me. Uh, but even when you talk about if, if teams do want to know like these physical stature and, and speed and stuff, a lot of schools are using GPS tracking and for every player, they can tell you here's their max game speed. Right. Here's, Here's what their speed was in the first quarter versus the fourth quarter. Here's their acceleration. Like if I'm looking at speed, I want to know that speed, not a 40, you know, because you're not running without, you're not running in compression shorts, pads and helmets and shit. Nor are you running, nor are you running from the the three point. Right. I mean, in the, cause in the guys, the only people who do run out of a three point that you would care about are your edges. Yep. Yeah, but th- that 40-yard dash, like the 100-meter dash in the Olympics, gets eyeballs and ultimately gets some guys paid. Um, let's move into some dedicated segments of the week here really quickly. Um, I've got one for each that I can go over. I well, saw. I obviously I, want to hear the, your money move because you, you oh, even teased me. That's right. I said surprise on the doc. So this is big. College basketball, ESPN just signed an electric talent to a two-year extension. Dickie V signed a two-year extension at ESPN to call their college basketball games through the 2023 season. The 2022-2023 season will mark his 44th year at ESPN. He's 81 years old as we sit here today. He called the first ever college game broadcast on ESPN in 1979, and he's been talking about the elevator man and the diaper dandy and the PT peer ever since. And I'm fucking here for it. I love it. Now, now in the broadcast, he spends a lot of time talking about his charities, all that type of stuff, which I respect. But I'm also like, okay, you said it once every single media timeout. Like, can we play the hits, please? Can he, we play the? He's hits? lost his fastball. He's lost his fastball, but he's still great. You got to rep- rec- recognize he's great. 
But yes, that he's lost a few miles an hour off his fastball. <laughs> he's like Lee Corso. He's like Bradshaw on the um, Fox pregame show. These are these are icons within the sport. You have to let them go and do this until they say they don't want to. You can't like fire them. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. I, unless they do something, you know, legally wrong. True. And listen, if I'm 81 and alive, awesome. You know, awesome. If I'm <laughs> 81 and like working a cool job, man, you know, awesome. hitting dingers. <laughs> Drop to Dickie V for the money move of the week. Um, you've got a crackback of the week. I have one as well. I want to hear yours because this is a uh, funny little premise we have here. Uh, yes. So for those who aren't Houston Rockets fans, and this year, why would you be? Uh, the Houston Rockets have officially fallen in the tank uh, this year with the tra- since the trade of James Harden. Uh, they had the big, long losing streak of 20-plus losses in a row. Uh, it was pretty brutal. All of that's good stuff. But they have all made a bunch of trades. They traded away uh, Victor Oladipo, traded away James Harden, traded uh, – goodness. They've made – so they've gotten some pers- – Yes, DeMarcus Cousins, thank you. Uh, well, they released him. But anyway, they've gotten some draft capital back uh, for a lot of these trades, including like five picks – five, six picks and combined pick swaps from the Nets and all this. Um, So the Rockets are obviously terrible. They are trying to compete for um, one of the top four spots in the draft. Well, during an interview this week, the uh, Rockets uh, media was doing a press conference with the GM and he was asked the question, um, how will he be judged based on the horrible season the team is having? And the GM responded and said, it is unfair that you can, and you cannot judge his work until the year 2030. And my response to that is I want to tell my boss that he's not allowed to judge my work until 2030, because that seems a little ridiculous that we have to wait nine years before we're able to formulate an opinion on the job you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is pretty funny, especially because, would you agree that for GMs, like one to three years isn't a long enough time frame to, for a fair evaluation? Yes. Much like I, I agree it's not a fair evaluation time frame for a coach either. What do you think is the correct? Because I think we would both agree, and, and you basically said it, nine years is damn near laughable. It, it, right. And that's why this is a crackback. I, I think, honestly, and I've always said this from college, that four to five years is for kind of that frame because in that period you've gotten your guys through the door and you've kind of phased in the new culture and things like that. Well, and I think, you know, people see how that easily ties to college because they're like, Oh, guys are usually there for four or five years. So in four or five years. And when I say guys, I mean the, the student athletes are there for four to five years. So by year four or five, a coach should hypothetically have only guys that he brought into the program there but it's also true, I think, in professional leagues across all sports. Like, it takes a little bit of time to get everybody on board. If you want to completely overhaul the way the team plays, the way the roster looks, that takes time as well. Agreed. Um, my quick crackback, because it's been covered at length, we don't need to dive into it too much, but worthy of a crackback if we have one on the show. Uh, the difference is that in the way the NCAA has handled the men's and the women's tournament is just laughable. Damn- laughable and disgusting weight rooms first and then the swag bags you can go down to the way that they label and brand the course court oh that i'm glad you said that 
it's across the board. They they screwed it up at every level, and we know that uh, it was essentially uh, intentionally maybe too strong of a word, but like they didn't just forget, you know. Mm, yeah, I don't think intentionally is too hard of a word. I think it <laughs> if the shoe fits, wear it. Uh, 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 quick fire breather. Unless you have any more comments on that. No, you you got it. Shoe fits, wear it. That's how I'm gonna end that. <laughs> So I had to call this one out because uh, I found myself not watching every UFC, UFC fight and then not even watching every fight within a card on a card that I might watch a fight or two. But it seems like the UFC is putting together some fights with guys who are big names or at least are, are supposed to be skilled. It gets the more than casual, like it gets more people to watch than just a casual fan. Like if they're pulling me in to watch the fight, then it's it's either been marketed well or I've heard that like these two dudes or these two two girls or this these couple fights on this card are going to be like worth watching so all of this to say i've watched a couple ufc bouts over the past like year or so and the ufc is fucking gnarly that is my fire breather of the week um and and this thought was kicked off i'm watching the fight on saturday between stipe miocic and uh francis Ngannou. it's the heavyweight championship of the world um, and you see some gnarly knockouts in the UFC. That's like part of what the UFC is. Um, but this knockout was one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen. And the part that really gets you is in the UFC, they are basically trained and taught that until the ref stops the fight. Keep the hitting fight him. Over. So in Ganyu fucking just, and I mean, Stipe is out before he even takes a breath before he, is even starting to fall to the canvas. You, you can tell he's just out cold. He's out. He hits the ground, is in damn near rigor mortis. Ref hasn't stopped the fight. And Ganyu, who's like 260 pounds of just absolute killing machine, hammer fist writes him to the to the like jaw chin while he's already unconscious. And I'm just like, didn't he hit him oh, twice? Wasn't it two? God. Didn't he catch him with two after? Oh, it was just one. He just got him one, but other guys do get caught with like a two or three piece when they're unconscious. And you, I just like, imagine watching somebody do that on the street to somebody. Yeah. It's unreal. Just because you're absolutely right. The guy was out cold and I, I don't know what it's hard as an official, like yeah, because it, it, those guys want to, they do want to fight. Like, so if you step in early and call it off and he's not out, he just kind of got dazed. You're an idiot. So it's a very fine line to draw. And the UFC is about the knockouts. I mean, obviously, it's mixed martial arts. So there's guys that are elite wrestlers and doing elite takedowns and submissions and all this type of stuff. But the fighters that seem to really make their money and really do it is guys who are knocking dudes out, right? So it, it's tough. But that one, I was like, man, that extra one on the ground, that one hurts. That's hard to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was tough. Let's get into our like modified Fantasy Five this week. So in lieu of a Fantasy Five, Cullen and I are going to pick our division winners for Major League Baseball in honor of uh, opening day today. Here's the way I set it up. I, I, I went through and made these picks last night before the game started. I've got division winners, the two wild cards, the World Series matchup, and the World Series winner. Is that within your purview? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. So, no, we're not picking the wild cards, correct? Yes. Oh, we pick do. The two, two wild then, Yeah, so basically just pick the playoff teams yep. and then who – Meets, meets in, in the world, world series, series and who wins and we'll ultimately uh put these picks out and uh in lieu of a traditional fantasy five you guys can vote on who you think is the most correct 
Okay, I think we should start in the National League uh, because I think it is chalk across the board and very easy, and I think we'll probably be, be pretty similar with each other. Okay. You disagree? I'm not sure, bud. Oh, I, boy. <laughs> my, well, well because I assume so. Based on looking at my picks, I assume that it's chalk, but I, I'm not a fully aware of what chalk is because some of my baseball f- knowledge ebbs and flows throughout the season okay i'm with you so let's start west and move east okay sure let's do it so i know west i assume this one is is well the, dodgers I, <laughs> I got the dodgers <laughs> i said the dodgers as well but only slightly only slightly okay that's fair i i'm taking a wild card team from the west too but that's neither here nor there all right central i took the brewers oh Okay. Wow. I got the Cardinals and I think this is, they're going to be the only team from this division to make it. Okay. I also agree that the winner of that division is, is the only one. I simply took the Brewers because I think Yelich is, is dope and they signed Jackie Bradley Jr. If I don't, if I recall correctly, yeah, whatever, you know, (laughs) the NL East, I took the Braves. I also will take the Braves, uh, but I'm going, the Braves are going to win the division. I think, I think their pitching will get better. And I think they do win the division pretty handily. Uh, My two wild cards though, Slam Diego and the New York Mets. That's who I got too. So our only difference is the NL Central. You have the Cardinals. I have the Brewers. Otherwise, we are exactly the same across the board. Now let's flip to the senior circuit where the real men play. Let's uh, let's talk about the American League. Um, let's do the same same way. Start in the West, move east. Yeah, let's do it. I took uh, the team that you rock on your head. I took the Astros in the West. I, I too am taking the Astros and I am going to double down and I'm going to tell you the Astros are going to win the division by five or more games. And that's, that's substantial in major league baseball, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, compared to what, like what the Dodgers have been doing, like the Dodgers have been winning by 12 or 13 games in the past few years, but on the whole normally, yeah, five games is pretty like you ran away with it. Uh, how about the AL central? This one is the I think the toughest one, the toughest one to pick uh, for me, and I think the injury to Eloy Jimenez uh, for the White Sox is going to swing it for me, and I ultimately am not going to take the White Sox. I'm going to take the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, that was a tough conversation that I had. I did stick with the White Sox, though. You know, we'll see. No Eloy Jimenez for like six months. Not not great. Not great. Not great at all. And I the White Sox pitching has me nervous. Uh, so I'm just going to take. The, the solid, the solid performer, take the twins. And that's a division that is potentially hard to pick because nobody necessarily jumps out. No, it's a bunch of, you know, it's two bad teams and then a bunch of just average. Yeah. Uh, AL East, I, you know, I went with the tried and true. I took the Bronx bombers here. Yeah. That one's us lock. Give me the, give me the Yankees. Um, now in your wild card, who do you got? I, I got a couple surprises here, I think. Uh, I'm going to take the Oakland Athletics as one and uh, Toronto Blue Jays. God uh, damn it, dude. <laughs> That's exactly what I took as well. So <laughs> I took the Blue Jays and the A's. Um, so again, we are dead on except for the Central where you took the Twins and I took the White Sox. So as far as six playoff teams, uh, you know, the people are going to have one choice. Who do you like better? Do you like the Twins or the White Sox, or do you like the Brewers or the Cardinals? <laughs> and that's part of your vote. Now let's get to maybe the swing part of the vote. Who you got playing in the World Series? Oh, see, this is tough. This and is... the winner, say blank over blank, or however you want. To okay, play. okay. 
it see this this one's tough for me because I usually I those first round matchups are always huge. Like and who gets eliminated in the five game series. So it's tough point. It's, it's tough hard to, pick. to predict because the seeding is seeming seems to be a little more important than baseball than in other sports. But if I just had to pick who's gonna win each side, as much as it pains me, um gosh, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I, I can't. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Astros over the Dodgers and lock it in. Astros over the Dodgers. So we have completely different. So th- this is good. This is where we can get some votes generated here. I am going a battle of the home runs in my World Series. Okay. And I am taking the Slam Diego Padres that, yep. over, the, over the Bronx Bombers. See, when I, 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 it took long to get it out because my head is saying the Yankees, you need to pick the Yankees. Like you think the Yankees are going to go pick the Yankees, but I can't, I can't, couldn't bring myself to go on a public forum and put my name next to the New York Yankees. So, uh, well, it's not like the Astros are going to be anything to sniff at this year. So you got to think that, Hey, in a seven game or a five game series, why not us? Why not us? Exactly. You know what? And you know, maybe the Tampa Bay Rays somehow surprise the Yankees and and knock them out again. Like, so well, that's the thing. The the AL East is going to be a good division, I think, because obviously the Yankees on paper are a monstrous team, but they've been a monstrous team for multiple years now and and haven't gotten it done. Uh, we both believe in the Blue Jays. The Rays have had what, like the best. They fly players. under the radar all the time. I ju- the Red Sox and Orioles are trash, but any one of those three teams can get in. I, but I'm with you. I just like, I'm so infatuated with the young talent on the Blue Jays. Yeah, I mean the all name team, dude. I mean you got Biggio, you got uh, Vladdy Jr., and you got Bo Bichetti, three MLB sons on one team, and they're all just young bucks and sweet swings. I mean. Plus, did you see him rocking the baby blue? Oh, it was nice today. It was cool. We we had uh, we had the games on in Hodgetown. We were just streaming the games up on the big board while everybody was working. This is a good day at the office. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, last thing before we get out of here. This is episode number forty three. I thought of one athlete. Uh, did you think who of you got? Athlete? Who you got? I got I got uh, Mr. Head and Shoulders himself, Troy Palomalu. Well, then, sir, we have the same one athlete because that is all I have as well. So I couldn't find any other 43s. Tigers or Lions. And I was like, man, I don't recall. I was trying to think of our days at Michigan, 43. I was like, I think Scott Sipnuski, the long, long snapper. Scott was maybe 43 one year, but I couldn't. Couldn't remember and didn't want to look it up. So Troy Malu, Troy Palomalu, it is. And Troy Palomalu, I've met him in person because he during oh. my time in the AAF, by far one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He was a hey. director of player director of player engagement or player um, resources, like a, a, the head of HR for the players, kind of deal. Wow, and I did not know that. Yeah, met him. He, super nice guy. So I I sign off on making this episode after him. Would you say it's fair to say that he revolutionized the position on defense? Absolutely. He absolutely, him, yeah, yes, because they he changed the way safeties play for sure. Yeah, downhill, and, bring the lumber. We don't care. We can we can play in the backfield. Absolutely. 
well, yeah, that was for him to be a guy who could essentially play outside linebacker, but also actually tr- play like a true rover free safety, go make plays on the ball, keep up with guys who are super fast, like shouldn't be able to do all of those things. No, and he not only does them, but he does them well, and he's so smart about it too. Yeah, yeah. there's some stories out there about Troy Polamalu making adjustments in games, lining up in ways that, you know, take away plays, do crazy stuff. Um, he's a dude. Anything else before we get out of here, sir? Any last thoughts? No, sir. Happy opening day. Should be a national holiday. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fellow degenerates like Cullen and myself, this has been episode 43 of the Cutback Podcast. If only Cullen and I had as much hair as Troy Palomaru, maybe he could donate just some of his. Uh, literally, I think just a little bit of his hair would cover both yours and I's head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would if he could donate some man I just need something to cover up here like I I would love to see you walking around with Troy Palomalu's hair curls and all me too I would love to see it too I haven't that seen hair awesome. on my head in years man <laughs> that would be awesome well that aside ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and fellow degenerates until next time keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out